And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Excited to be joined today by our guest, Luke Buchanan um, from Ready.Health, the founder and CEO. Um, Going to learn about what his company does in, uh, in healthcare. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that hiring software developers doesn't have to be a huge pain in the neck. You don't have to pay a staffing company $25,000 to find one. You can check out fullscale.io. That's what my company does. We have hundreds of software developers that work for other startups and scale-ups doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, Luke, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Uh, really excited to chat with you today. So to get us started today, tell us a little about uh, Ready Health and what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So Ready is a health management platform that helps patients get access to support for their high-cost therapies. Uh, in the most basic way I can describe it, pharmaceutical manufacturers out there, they stand up all this incredible support for the patients that have prescribed their meds. And patients are just unable to access that today in a way that makes sense to them and that is also compliant. So Ready has stepped in to create an ecosystem where a patient can manage their health in a way that's very effective but then also gain access to support to help them stay on what is likely the highest cost, most complex medication they may be on. So what, when you said therapy, is this like therapeutic drugs though? We're not talking about like counseling or that kind of therapy, right? Yeah, that's correct. So when I say therapy, I'm, I truly mean medication therapy. And so okay. otherwise known as a brand or a drug, right? Um, but essentially anything a pharmaceutical manufacturer makes for a patient. So what are the most common examples of that? Yeah, well, the ones you hear about in the space today that are most common are some of the GLP-1s everybody's talking about, Ozempic, right, or Wegovy, any of the weight loss meds, diabetes medications, but it extends far beyond that. And so your generic medications that you go pick up at CVS that are between $7 and $20, those are made by a pharmaceutical manufacturer as well. But the brands that we work with are anything that's really over $600 to $1,000, all the way up to $20,000 per month. So we're talking yeah. about the really rarest branded products for the rarest types of diseases. So I have a friend that invested in a company, and I don't remember the name of it, that does the clinics that are all around the country to, that that gives these medicines. So you go into their clinic and, and get the medicine. And that company's worth like a billion dollars. Um, you, you probably would know their name. I don't remember what the name of it was. But um, to somebody nobody's ever heard of, just happens to be a billion dollar company running yeah, right. around. My friend owns like, my friend loans like 20% of it or something. I don't know. So good for him. But but it, that's what they do. They do these high-end therapeutic, you know, medicines that are like extremely expensive. And um, so your your goal is to help the patient find where to get this medicine or what exactly are you trying to help the patient with? Yeah. So um, what your friend is helping out with, right, is the actual distribution and administration of the product, which is incredibly yeah. important. But right, there's also the issue that if a patient is prescribed this product, but maybe they can't afford it, their insurance isn't covering it, let's say they have trouble getting to the appointment in general or jumping through some of the administrative hoops that have to take place in order 
to say their insurance company to say, yeah, you're, you're, you can take this and I'll pay for it. Uh, Ready helps facilitate the access to support to help the patient navigate those various steps in actually getting to the point where they can go into that clinic and take that medication. And then thereafter, right, most of these medications, they're not something you take one time. They're something you take every month or every quarter or every year for the rest of your life. And you're going to encounter certain things during the course of trying to get healthy with that medication that could make it difficult for you to access that medication long term. So Ready also helps you stay connected to support long term in a convenient way so you can continue to be confident that you'll overcome any barrier that comes your way. So how, how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, so my background is in health technology. I was at a health technology startup along with two of my co-founders. Another co-founder was from a dental insuretech startup, uh, all in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and so while at that uh, company, um, we saw a lot of the issues associated to the patient journey in general. And it became very clear that if the patient had the ability to just access some of the support tools that were out there, we wouldn't have to deal with a lot of the administrative processes of trying to align your provider, your insurance company, your pharmacy. And the lowest hanging fruit there was pharmaceutical manufacturers. So we heard it from the industry. We heard that accessing patients was continually difficult, specifically for pharmaceutical manufacturers. And then we heard from patients that they didn't even know this support existed. Those two things combined created a pretty clear vision that the problem was, A, getting patients access and awareness to this type of support, and B, keeping them connected to it long-term in a way that's compliant for pharmaceutical manufacturers. And so we left that so, company to start this one, yeah, in 2021. So that that sounds great. Sounds like a great problem to solve. But when you were thinking about all that, how were you going to monetize it? How do you, like, how do you, how do you monetize this? Yeah. Well, I think that the incentive around monetization is, right, pretty simple. If the patient's healthier, then... Ready gets paid. And uh, the way that that works is by a patient staying on the therapy that their healthcare provider prescribed for them. Okay. That's going to be that high cost pharmaceutical product. And so right. we work with our pharmaceutical manufacturer partners to put together these digital support structures to say, okay, what are the tools that are going to help the patient stay on this product longest term? And then we implement that and distribute it to the patient in a way that's more convenient for them, in a way that allows them to self serve around this support ultimately with the goal of staying on the therapy longer. But we're working with the pharma manufacturer from a monetization standpoint, and we mutually stand okay. up those programs. So that makes total sense. And the, you know, the ROI to them is, you know, their, their patient customer is going to continue to use the medicine and, and the ROI for them is the, the revenue they get from that. But so when you guys were starting this though, was it a daunting task of like, how in the world are we going to go to these pharmaceutical companies and convince them to do this? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely was. Uh, pharma's big, really big. That's why you hear big pharma. And so the ability to go into an organization like that, that's very siloed in terms of who owns what and find a champion or a buyer to say, Hey, let's take a risk on this brand new thing. Isn't, isn't easy. I'm not going to pretend to say that it was easy. However, right. A lot of us, especially on the founding team, and then those credible people that we brought into ready we have experience with dealing with those pharmaceutical manufacturers. And so that in and of itself is an incredible skill. I think just knowing how to navigate those organizations, we were lucky enough to bring in a lot of people who kind of already had that background. So you, you mentioned something I talk about on LinkedIn all the time. I post on LinkedIn every day and 
your your startup idea, the software, all that stuff is great. But if you don't know how to sell it, it literally is worth nothing. And the 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 biggest value in most companies is the go to market strategy or or the brand. You know, it's like how do you sell this thing? And you just hit the most important thing. You're like, hey, us and the founders, we 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 had the connections, we knew the network, we we knew how to do this. And it's like you almost just need like, hey, how do we figure out a product we can go sell these people we already know, right? And that that is where the business was created versus if I was doing this, I could go create the software, wouldn't know the first damn thing about how to sell something in a pharmaceutical, right? And so the, the big advantage you have was those relationships. Yeah, so huge, huge benefit, right? And I think we brought in the right people that not only had some of those relationships uh, to start, but more importantly, had the skills to build those relationships, right? It's not about just who you know, right? It's how you know or what you know in terms of building a rolodex of people that you know will take your call later on so that process is a real skill and we have we have very skilled people around that um oh go ahead sorry oh no i was just gonna ask so you guys have only been doing this for a couple years though right yeah that's correct we're roughly two and a half years old coming up on three um and you know i'm proud to say that that is a very compressed period to really shift into the pharma space it's hard to I'll call it break in, but it's just hard yeah. to get into some of these larger organizations in pharma. Um, but again, luckily, we have the the pedigree in the background to do that. So we were able to do it at a little bit of a compressed rate. So if you wanted to sell something to the pharmaceutical manufacturers, are there 10 of them, 100 of them? Like how many of them of them are there? Yeah, there's hundreds of manufacturers. Hundreds? Yeah, definitely. And the way that I would kind of divide it up is you're looking at your top 10. Those are the big names that you see yeah. all the time, right? That have a bigger GDP than some small companies. Um, yeah, and then that was my point. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And so there is concentration at the top and they have tons of brands and they're making all these acquisitions. Um, yeah. But then you have sort of that mid 50, which honestly, they're very similar. They're just a little bit more under the radar, maybe doing a little bit less in terms of revenue. Uh, and then you have countless, what we call, you know, single molecule manufacturers, right? molecule manufacturers, which is a company that's centered around one drug, but one drug can do 300, 500, a billion dollars. So you can truly have an entire pharmaceutical yeah. company built around one product. And that's not uncommon at all. Well, and like one of our presidential candidates is in this space, right? Vivek Ramswamy, like that's one of their businesses is they buy up some of these drugs that maybe had some problems and then try to fix them or take them to market, whatever it is they do. But they're kind of in this pharmaceutical space like there's a lot of investors and different people trying to do different things in these spaces there are yeah i mean it's 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 a high monetary space right there's no doubt about that you see it in the news nobody's high uh hiding that in particular but the thing that i always like to try and you know center people around is it's high spend because illness is something that everybody is focusing on and the pharma manufacturers are the ones creating the treatments for that so the more money that gets pumped into that right as long as the patient's not the one really fronting the cost right i don't believe that the patient should carry that burden the more money that comes into the space, the better, I think, because it's going to result in better patient outcomes. So one of the things we talked about before we started recording was uh, the name of your company is Ready.Health. And that's also your domain name is Ready.Health. And it sounds like you have some funny stories of the struggle of having a .Health domain name. Yeah, well, I think it's cool, right? And when uh, my co-founder, Jamin, and I were sitting in a room way back in the day, thinking about what the name should be of this company. We had landed on REDI ready, but how we were going to actually right take it into market. 
um, we saw the dot health domain name and thought that was really slick. And so you look at some of the other big companies out there, right? And it's salesforce.com or amazon.com before they really shifted into their current branding. And so we were like, hey, ready.health would be awesome. You know, what would look best on a t-shirt? Obviously I'm wearing a t-shirt now that doesn't have the dot health. So you can understand the learnings that have come out of that. But <laughs> back then it seemed like a really good idea. And I think it was, but um, you'd be so surprised at the countless amount of people who, you know, email you something and they email, you know, L Buchanan at, you know, ready.health.com. Um, .com is not part of our domain. So that never reached yeah. me. Or a system, some of the you know older legacy systems can't expect uh, can't intake right. a, a health domain, so you can't get added to the financial system, and it just created all these these really funny uh, issues that we don't run into anymore. But back in the day, they were they were some some frustrations that we could have avoided. So has that really just changed over two years? It's changed a lot in two years. Um, well, I mean, the name is still Ready Health. We still, right? Of course, are. Uh, advertising it that way. We do just call ourselves ready, but it seems like the dot health issues in the space have sort okay. of disappeared. So, you know, Gmail and Yahoo maybe took care of some of that, which is great. Well, out of curiosity, I searched, I go, I searched for a readyhealth.com is taken. There's, there yeah. is a different readyhealth.com. So you, you couldn't even get that one. So, um, you guys think you'll ever make a change or are you just, just sticking, sticking to it? You know, it doesn't cause problems anymore that I know of, right? Uh, if I get feedback from the market that they're unable to find my website, then maybe I'll think about it. But today, yeah. I think it's matured into something that's that's pretty fun that we like. It's like I, I've uh, I know somebody whose last name is Null N U L L, which gosh. is you know, computer programming wise, like Null is like its own thing, and lots of software. You know, of course, checks everywhere to make sure something isn't Null. But usually it's not the string of the actual null value. But anyways, oh, yeah, the, he has a lot of stories about like the DMV doesn't work, can't do this, can't do that, like all these things because his last name is null. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's weird funny. problems you run into. Yeah, my, my background's in data analytics, so very familiar with a null value. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah. That, would, that would drive me nuts. That would drive me absolutely nuts. <laughs> well, I, I like it. Um, our podcast is actually startuphustle.xyz. Because startup, I don't know why we just like it's a startup. It's a podcast about everything. So it's like dot x y z. I don't know why. That's what we did six years ago. So uh, you check out startuphustle dot x y z. But um, so when the how, how did the how does this actually get delivered to the consumer? So yeah. like do they they go to like the clinic and they get their treatment and like the first time like oh and by the way you get this ready health thing or like how how do they how do they get introduced to this? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's there's two primary points around this. And the first is, right, you can rely on your customer in ways to distribute your product so long as it benefits them. And I'll talk about that in a minute. I think that's an important part of any go-to-market strategy. But uh, something else that I think is really important is if you are right a product that is distributed to people during the course of some sort of therapy journey or consumer journey, then you have the opportunity to build a really meaningful network where you can meet them at certain points where it makes sense and pull them into your ecosystem. Uh, I'll start with the first part there as to how a patient finds ready. When we partner with a pharmaceutical manufacturer, they do have access to a certain percentage of their patients. Generally in the space, that's roughly 20% of their patients. They will have consent and access to be able to reach out to and message to, and they distribute our product to them. In some cases, manufacturers actually mandate that a patient has a ready account in order to access right, the certain level of support that they need to, which is great shows that we're more efficient and convenient for a lot of those patients. The other side of that though, is how do you create volume to your platform that makes a lot of sense for your customer? 
And so Ready's actually done a really, uh, really intentional job of building out a network separate from our manufacturer customers to be able to identify patients and show them the support exists proactively. And so Ready's actually integrated in over 40,000 pharmacies nationwide, and we can message two patients at the point at which they're trying to pick up a medication to say, nice. hey, there's, there's support available uh, for this medication that you're trying to pick up or that you're currently on. It's completely optional to you, but you can enroll in our platform and we will deliver that support to you proactively in a very convenient way. For free, right? For free. Yep, absolutely free to patients, always free to patients. So does that mean you had to partner with the likes of like CVS and Walgreens or this is more like specialty pharmacy that you had to partner with? Yeah, so I can't share exactly who we're partnered with in that network. Okay. But it is both the big box retail chains, um, not okay. all of them, right? And then independence and specialties as well. Sounds like that would have been its own fun thing to figure out how to partner with or did the pharmaceutical companies really help you over uh, figure that out? No, that was something that Ready did. So that's something you that had to figure out that too. Credit for, yep, and it, it was part of the go-to-market strategy. And I would say, right, selling into pharma is is one thing. Uh, partnering with pharma is is one thing. But then, right, pharmacy is this this whole other uh, animal. I will say that something that on both sides, pharmacy or, or pharma, um, everybody really is driven, despite what you hear in the space, really driven to deliver support to patients. I mean, there are people that are highly, highly motivated in order to do that. And so that's always been something refreshing for me in the space, having worked in it. I think it gets a bad rap sometimes for some reason, but everybody's very focused on the patient getting the therapy that their doctor wrote a prescription for. So I'm curious, as you have done this over the last couple of years, what, is, what has been one of the biggest challenges you've had to figure out and overcome? Yeah, well, you know, I think with any venture-backed company, right, you're always trying to find that balance of, right, what do you focus on when and how do you resource it? And to what degree do you resource it? So I think early on, that was you know difficult. You kind of worked to not necessarily make a mistake. You didn't want to spend money on something unless you were 100% sure that it was the right thing to do. Um, and the challenge was just understanding, you know, what is it that we really should be focusing on that will push the business forward as much as possible? I think that became very mitigated and we overcame that when we just really simply started asking questions to our investors, to other founders, and started learning from people who had made some mistakes previously, right? Ultimately just arriving to the fact, and I think this is very important for any entrepreneur, right? You need to decide what your appropriate amount of risk is to bring as much innovation into the business as possible. And so you just have to get comfortable with taking some swings in a really controlled, yeah. calculated way to see what works before you dive in. And that was, a, that was a learning for me is that you don't have to dive into something new 100% right away. There are really good tools and really good strategies out there to kind of figure out what the best avenue is before you commit to it. So how did you do that? Do you have any tips, tips about that specifically? Yeah, well, I think it, if you're a founder out there, right, and you're putting together a budget and your board's going to approve that, you should build in a small innovation budget where you're going to take projects as they come and have dollars set aside to kind of figure out if that's the right path. Um, and you could try and put together plans for that if you want, right? Hopefully you have other founders that can do that. I know my CTO, Jamin, right? We collaborate all the time on what the best thing to do from the product perspective is. And then right, our chief revenue officer and co-founder, Nate, if we're going to try and bring a new product to market, we can test in the market how we're going to sell that and what's most effective. Those things do cost money, but you don't have to go all in on that. It's really important right. to take a small percentage and just kind of test the market as to where it sits. And I would say my tip for actually implementing that starts when you kind of get that budget approved, 
right? Build in the ability for you to take some money and play around with it in a way that drives innovation. Well, I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Fullscale has hundreds of software developers that work with dozens of startups and scale-ups all over the place to build all sorts of cool technology. You can check us out at fullscale.io. So you mentioned earlier before that you were, you were venture-backed. Um, I, I had in my notes here that you guys have raised about $5 million. Is that right? Yeah, we have been. And we're really proud of being that capital efficient. So we've been able to be very successful on raising very little money, um, which I think is a great thing. So how, how hard was it to raise money for this? Was that a really complicated thing? I mean, you guys are in Ohio. You're not in, right? You're, you're in Ohio yourself? Yep, that's correct. Columbus, Ohio. Which doesn't feel any better than Kansas or Missouri when it comes to raising capital. So what, what was the process there like of, of trying to raise money? Yeah, so uh, the, the scene here is actually relatively robust. Um, and so one thing I always like to comment on as it relates to you know, the Midwest and venture capital is Midwest companies really pride themselves, I think, on being resilient and capital efficient. So 100%. Uh, right now, I, I just as much as the next person want a bank account full of dollars that I can go deploy to take as much market share as I can. But the bottom line is, right, the Midwest attitude and the Ohio attitude is you can do a lot with a little bit. That's exactly yeah. what we So we take that attitude of right being very, very controlled in terms of what we're spending and not just buying wild things or being flashy with it. Uh, raising the capital itself, right? There's certainly a grind associated to that. I'm not going to pretend that raising around is something that's that's easy to do. Um, but the one thing that happens out here in the Midwest is that the investors they they test you, right? They poke holes in your product. They poke holes in your business model. That's a good thing. And so, right, as long as you're resilient to go through that process, I would say that it's you know not necessarily easy, but it is rewarding and does push the product forward. So luckily we were able to raise rounds in a very quick way, get capital in the door, you know, within one to two months of actually kicking off uh, a raise, which is great. I know that's not necessarily the norm, but we've demonstrated very that, fast. We, that we use money in a responsible way, which is an important part of that. So were you able to build the product and get it to market and, and get traction before you raised the money or did you have to raise money first? Uh, so we raised money first, right? And okay. so, you know, if I could give anybody a tip who's doing that, right, you're, you're probably wondering, you know, do I, do I try and raise money pre-product or do I raise money post-product? And I would say, right, pre-product, the benefit that you get going to market to raise is you're raising on your idea and your story. You're going to get the benefit of your potential investors poking holes in that. And that's only going to make your product better. And so I would say that and if I were to do it over again, I would raise pre-product again. I would, because ultimately I got all this feedback that made my product better, my first iteration, my product better from those that I was trying to, you know, sell it on. So by selling this to the big pharmaceutical companies, obviously the sales cycle for that is very long and hard. I'm sure it's more of an enterprise sales, complicated. Do you feel like being a venture backed startup was almost sort of a requirement to sell to them? Like, do you think you could have bootstrapped this and they still would have bought it or you think having like the VC money behind it was like important for the, for selling it to them? You know, that, that is a good question. I, I, I don't know in hindsight if that's something that, you know, they looked at and said, Oh, they're venture back. So we can trust this smaller company. A, right. a little bit more. Um, but I have to believe it didn't hurt. Right. Showing sure. that there, there are institutional investors that you can look at the investments that they've made, 
you can see the multi-million dollar funds that they have, that they vet these companies before investing, right? That's sort of giving your customer or your potential customer uh, the opportunity to understand that somebody has done a lot of diligence on you. And that's good. I think that's very good. Could we have bootstrapped it and sold it? I think this team could have, um, but it probably was easier knowing that we were venture-backed. Well, and that, that's why I bring it up because I'm, I'm a big fan of bootstrap companies. I bootstrapped my first company to 30 million a year in revenue. But the, you know, we were selling to car dealers. So I didn't call a car dealer and sell something to them and they don't really care, whatever. We, we help them, they'll, they'll, they'll pay us, they'll buy our product. We're dealing with pharmaceuticals, it's going to be a little harder, right? Especially some of them are publicly traded, like these big corporations that make billions of dollars a year in revenue. They probably don't want to take as much risk on some little startup and their thing. And having the the VC behind them helps them, you know, be more reassured from a trust perspective. And that's why I highlight, like, I think there are some times where having the VC behind you is is going to help propel you in, in, in those different ways. That's, that's why I kind of ask. Yeah, well, I mean, if I can make one other point on that, right? Um, when you think about, right, the, let's think about the boardroom, who's around the table. Um, your investors are people who want you to do well. I feel like there's this you know, this uh, stigma from the outside when you think about companies that write your investors are these really intense people who hold your feet to the fire every single chance that they get. They are just as interested in the success of your organization as you are, right? They made the investment, right. they want it to do well. And so another benefit, right, other than the, the market, having signals to the market that you're legitimate and you have backing is that you do get good minds around the table that you can yeah. go and solicit advice from, which is big when you're a founder, right? You don't always know where to turn, your investors are a great resource for that. And so it's good to have them around the table. So were they really been, have been smart money for you? Or they, did they come from the pharmaceutical industry? Like what, what kind of stuff have they helped you do? Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they haven't come from the pharma space in particular. Okay. Um, but some of them have been operators of startups in the past, which is enormously helpful. Um, others have just been institutional investors for so long. They've seen it all and they can really right. guide you through that process. And when you're putting together a syndicate, if if you can afford to kind of diversify the types of people that are sitting around the table, I would I would highly encourage that, even if it means a little less capital or slightly less valuation. That's that's very, very important, the partners that you bring in. So the money's been extraordinarily smart for us. Of course, it enabled the growth of the business, but the people around the table have been able to guide us or at least give advice on virtually every step or issue that we've encountered. Well, and some of the challenge is like you, you touched on this earlier is like, what do you do with the money, right? Say you put $3 million, $4 million, whatever from your last round in, in the bank and you're like, okay, now what do we do with it? Yeah. <laughs> it becomes its own set of challenge, right? Did, what, how, how, did, how did you guys work through that part of it? Like, oh, we need to hire more salespeople, we need more product development. Like, how, how did you think about like, okay, what do we do with like millions of dollars we just put in the bank? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you bring up a good point about hiring in general, right? People are the most important asset that you have, right? If, if your product's great, that's awesome. Good people are going to keep it great. And so it's really important that you invest heavily in people. And you also hire for talent, not just people. You have an open role, hire for the talent. Don't hire just because somebody, right, can slip into it quickly. And so when you're looking at your budget overall, right, there's going to be line items that make a lot of sense. If you're a pre-product or you're doing a lot of product yeah. work, you're going to have to hire a lot of engineers, right? And so you can do some work around figuring that out, come up with a budget, and then right associate the amount of capital that you need to attribute to that. I will say that's right another good thing about having investors around the table. Sometimes, and this has happened at, at Ready, um, we will you know say, hey, we think we need this type of person in the organization. 
and your investors that have been through this with other companies will say that's generally a big mistake that startup makes. So let's yeah. analyze that a little bit more. And that ends up saving you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, which is very important. So we take the counsel of our investors when we come up with what we need to do when with that money. Um, but again, part of raising is they push you to really understand and build out what you're going to do with those funds, which is a useful exercise that everyone should do, whether or not you're raising money. Well, and we all go through that struggle. So like my previous company, which was called StackFi, you know, I made one of those mistakes where I hired a great VP of sales and we paid him, you know, 200 something thousand dollars a year or whatever, but we had nothing to sell. <laughs> right? Like that, there's so many problems as a startup that are like chicken and egg problems, right? You're like, well, I need to hire a sales team to go sell this. I got to hire engineering to build it. But you all, you almost have to be in lockstep at the same time. And it's so hard to manage like, you know, what do I need now versus what do I need three months from now? And like trying to deal with all of that. And, um, is that, have you had that struggle? <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. Right. And that's sort of the, I think that's the dark tunnel that, that every entrepreneur is in, right. Is that you can see what's coming ahead, um, but you don't exactly know when it's hitting. You have X amount of dollars, you know, when you're maybe yeah. going and you have to make decisions to make sure that you're ready to meet that need and you can execute on it. But you have to make sure that you don't front load that too heavy or you're going to cut the burnout from under you later on. And so that balance, I mean, that's a constant battle. That's something that I expect to go through the entire life cycle of Ready and any other company that I'm ever a part of. I think it's just part of the entrepreneurial journey. For sure. I mean, you know, the the business that I, you know, run today, uh, full scale, we have 300 employees and and it's always, there's always something, what do we invest in? What's our budget for this thing? Where you talked about earlier, making bets, like, hey, we make a small bet on this thing, make a small bet on this thing. And, and the good news for us is we are, we're profitable. Yep. So we're, we're, we don't have like a big burn rate. I mean, still, we're still spending money, right? You don't want to waste money, but I feel like one of the problems as a startup, and I had this, um, at my previous company StackFi too, is like, if you've got a burn rate of like $200,000 a month or whatever it is, like a big burn rate, you're like, a little bit of playing the game of chicken, right? You're like, it's like you see the brick wall, you know, 12 months ahead, 20 months ahead. You're like, you know, revenue has got to do this thing, you know, it's got to go way up and we got to reduce the burn rate or I'm going to hit that wall <laughs> or I got to go chase more money. Right. And, um, is that, is that a problem that keeps you up at night at all? They get used to keep me up at night. Well, I would say, right. Even so ready is in a great spot where we don't need to necessarily worry about a lot of that. Um, awesome. but no, no matter what, right. Ensuring that ready is as stable or not even as stable, just as great of a place as it can be for the people who work here. Uh, that does keep me up at night. Right. Um, and it should, I think it should for any entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. I think early, early on in the journey, right. You probably experienced this as well too. When you're first starting your company and it's you and your few founders, right. You're very motivated by the outcome years from now. And that kind of is the thing that's driving you, but very slowly, um, and then all at once, it becomes the people at the organization that you brought in, right? And the shared vision that you're all moving toward and the impact that you're having. And so my number one goal always, right, is to ensure that the business is in a place where the people here can thrive. Because if the people here are at their best, then our product's going to be at its best, meaning the patients using it are going to be at their best. Absolutely. How many employees do you have now? So um, I'm not going to share specifics about the company today. All right. No problem. Um, yeah, no problem at all. But um, yeah, that's generally something we don't necessarily do. Um, we're, I would say we're not a small company anymore, thankfully, right? Um, haven't been for probably a year and a half or more. 
Um, but generally, we keep those details a little bit tighter, given the highly regulatory and right the sensitive nature of our, of our customer, the pharmaceutical manufacturers. All right, no problem. So, what do you what do you see as the the future for Ready? Yeah, well, I mean, Ready is right interacting with patients on right a, a minutely basis. I'll call it. So, to date, we've uh, had over six hundred thousand interactions with patients. Um, wow. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, especially when we're dealing with the types of therapies that are right lower patient populations, rarer disease. And yeah, we do work, that's a lot of do, people. Yeah, we do work with you know general products that have very high volumes as well too. Um, but overall, we're reaching a significant amount of patients. Our network has grown, so the ability to actually pull patients into our platform, our network has grown to about one third of prescription traffic in the U.S. So we can see right about one third of patients coming through our ecosystem which is massive, right? So that impact is absolutely huge and gives us the opportunity to deliver that support, right? As soon as we're building a program with a pharmaceutical partner. That's incredible. So is the, is the key to the future for you working with more of the, just more pharmaceutical companies or, you know, at this point in time is like the pharmacies are helping you get into all of those. Or are you seeing some network effect? Yeah, of that? So like, the, the, net, the network is very important and we'll continue to grow that as, as best we can and as fast as we can because that is a direct correlation to the number of patients that we can reach. And the more patients we reach, the more impact we have. As it relates to pharma though, right? I mean, we are without a doubt the absolute experts in delivering pharma support in a digital way. We are the digital backbone of patient support programs. And so we'll continue to be laser focused on that area of the business. Now, I will say there's other opportunities for us to connect other stakeholders uh, to patients via our platform. And we'll, of course, explore those when the time is right. But right now, we're really focused on pharma as that support is what we believe is the most impactful support for a patient that they're likely not taking advantage of today. So do you see yourself expanding into other types of products or businesses or? You know, I think, right, healthcare is a unique space, we'll call it. It's a, it's a web that seems to function moving forward, but it's very difficult to untangle. And I would say that the patient's not at the center of that. So, right, you have insurance companies, payers, you have the pharmacies, you have health systems and, and provider networks, as well as the pharmaceutical manufacturer. And Ready's goal ultimately, right, is just to aggregate those types of sources and information to the patient built around their health journey, built around their daily health management. So when I think of the future pie in the sky, right, I would love to bring a patient, every single entity that's involved in their health journey. And giving them the access to sort of, you know, proactively manage those various sources, your pharmaceutical manufacturer, your insurance company, your health system, right. your pharmacy, all in one spot, right? That's a long road and that's fine. Um, but ultimately, if we can put the patient at the center, that's what I want the future of ready to be the best possible platform, putting the patient at the center of their own health. Well, and that's why I'm curious if, if you think about ready expanding to be like all forms of health, you know, is it from you know, like general, you know, health medical record type system, like, you know, all sorts of stuff, or you think it's more just therapeutics, or um, I'm sure there's similar, probably similar products to yours that are focused out there on like therapy or mental health or all sorts of different things. I imagine that are different tools, different things out there. Yeah, or... yeah it'll, it'll depend on the, uh, the pharmaceutical product that we're partnering with as well, too. So the way the platform works is that we have the core ready platform, which you could download on the app store, Google Play Store today. Um, or you can access via app.ready.health. Um, it's available via web and via app. And so that's a general health management platform. You can do any medication, manage any symptom, full dietary tracking, exercise and wearable oh, integrations, right? Nice. As well as education for right, whatever you're inputting 
platform will become smarter to deliver you different education. And that drives just a lot of engagement, right? That's free to patients. And it just helps us drive additional applicability for patients that are a little bit more chronic, have a little bit more uh, of a clinical lens as to the approach to their health. When we partner with a manufacturer product, that's when we build out more specifically for those patients that are connected to that partner. Got it. Okay. Something more specific to their particular therapy journey or right, just better pipes of access to support and education that matter most for them. So, so your service is already valuable essentially for people of all all types of, of, right. of health. It's not just the, you know, people that have these sort of more chronic therapeutic drugs or whatever they're on, like it potentially it could work for a lot of different use cases is what I heard. Absolutely. I think any patient can benefit from ready. There might be other platforms that right, are better for a specific type of patient managing a specific type uh, of disease. But ultimately, right, we want to deliver that support in the best way possible. And we think the best way to do that is through the vehicle of a patient's whole health. And so we help the patient manage that whole health in order to deliver that support in a way that makes sense. That is awesome. Well, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. You can check us out at FullScale.io. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by, by FullScale. So Luke, thank you so much for being on the show today. I think it's a, a really cool story. I I always love talking to other entrepreneurs that are in, we'll call it like sort of weird niches. Like nobody would ever thought of like, oh, there's this company that built this technology that partners with the pharmaceuticals to, you know, help their patients. And people don't think about that. Like there, there's thousands, millions of companies doing all these sort of different things out there. And it's great to highlight, you know, people that are working in these kind of weird little niches that have built great businesses. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you doing it too, right? I think every entrepreneur, especially in the niche, has a unique story because the niche is oftentimes where some of the most complexity gets tangled up, right? And it's awesome when a group of people can come in to try and make some sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I work in one now, uh, I have a, a startup that does digital marketing related stuff for plumbers. Not something somebody would think would be very yeah, high tech or sexy, not. but it's digital marketing for home services and plumbers and stuff like that. There's so many types of businesses out there, so many ways to to, to make money. So um, I always like to ask people on the way out if you have any um, last like words of wisdom or tips for other entrepreneurs out there. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I get asked that a lot. And I think, right, that the biggest thing that I always kind of stick to is right. Resiliency is a choice, right? It's not a, it's not a feeling. And so in the entrepreneurial journey, oftentimes, right, you're going to feel like you're getting kicked for sure. Um, and you're, you'll feel like it's impossible. That happens all the time, but resiliency is a choice to keep going even when things feel a little bit down. And so, um, no matter how successful your business is going to be, luckily ready's had the opportunity to achieve really fantastic success you're always going to have those opportunities. And I would encourage every entrepreneur, no matter what, to choose the resilient route of just continuing to push forward. I love that. I I wrote that down. I circled it. Great. When I'm glad the day, the day, the day that it's on my sticky note. It's official. Uh, <laughs> the day that we post this, I will, I will definitely share it on LinkedIn. This will be my, this is my caption. Resilience is a choice. hundred percent. Absolutely love it. Well, again, this was Luke Buchanan, uh, Ready Health. R-E-D-I dot health. Check them out. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This was, this was awesome. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.